My grandmother used to use the phrase, one thing is for sure and two things are for certain. Now, I always loved it when she used that phrase, even though a lot of times she never got to what the two certainties were. So in honor of my grandmother, Naomi, who is no longer on this earth, let me say I know one thing for sure. And that is the word of the week is impeachment. Now, the two things I know for certain are white supremacy will never hold white supremacy accountable. And just like my grandmother, I don't even need to get to that second thing. So our Senate, the leadership that we have elected to represent our best interests, held an impeachment trial for Donald Trump over his role in the insurrection on January 6th. Trial is probably putting it loosely. There were lawyers. There was talking, but no witnesses were called after the Republicans opened the door to call witnesses. And rather than take the opportunity to completely shame the Republican Party before the American people so that in open and full view, the people could see the depths of depravity going on in this party. The Democrats opted to call no witnesses because calling witnesses and dragging things out might have caused them to lose Republican votes to convict. And that is according to a detailed political story. Also, in the same story, reportedly, Delaware Senator Chris Coons told House impeachment managers that, quote, people want to get home for Valentine's Day. Ain't that a bitch? Now, I'm not saying that these witnesses would have gotten those Republican holdouts to jump to the other side, but that wasn't really the point. I mean, we, as in the American people, only pay them to govern. Can y'all imagine saying some shit like that to your boss? Uh, yeah, Brian, I know you wanted those reports, but uh, I really want to get home for Valentine's Day. So let me run that to you next week. As many of you know by now, the Senate ultimately voted 5743 to acquit Donald Trump of inciting an insurrection against his own government. And it's weird to say Trump was acquitted because 57 senators voted in favor of impeaching him and 43 did not. And 57 to 43, I ain't a math student, but that's not exactly a close margin. But the way our government is set up, you need two thirds of the Senate to vote to convict a president of impeachment. And in this case, the 57 senators who voted to convict Donald Trump represent 76.7 million more Americans than the 43 senators who voted to acquit. That's our government. The only way two thirds could be reached is if 17 Republicans decided to break from their party and support a conviction. In the end, just seven actually had the guts to vote to convict. Now, a lot of people have called those who voted to acquit Trump cowards. See, I don't buy that. A coward is someone who wants to do the right thing, but allows fear to convince them to go along with what's wrong. But those who refuse to hold Donald Trump responsible for inciting this insurrection, and there was no question that he did, aren't cowards. They weren't scared to vote to convict. This is the outcome they wanted. Donald Trump is the only president in history to be impeached twice. And if you're not going to impeach the president for using his position to essentially put a hit out on lawmakers, including his own vice president, Mike Pence, then what the fuck can a president actually be convicted of? The point of impeachment is to make sure a president doesn't abuse their power, is to hold them accountable. 
The precedent this country just set with Donald Trump is that it's okay for a president to withhold aid from a foreign country in exchange for attacking his political enemies. It's okay for a president to undermine our elections, openly pressure public officials to illegally change the votes of an election, encourage people to behave violently, assassinate, kidnap, and God knows what else to elected leaders. That shit is now on the table for any president going forward. I often hear elected officials and other politicals talk about the founding fathers and the framers and what they intended. And I just wonder, and I don't know if it's just me, why are we still following the blueprint of white men who only wanted other white men to be property owners who set forth rules and principles in government when we were still on some 13 colony shit? They did not envision a nation full of 300 million people, global economies, a multiracial society. The reason we've had so many amendments and changes to what they originally wrote is because their idea of government wasn't built for this shit that we see now. We shouldn't have lifelong Supreme Court justices. We shouldn't have lifetime judicial appointments, period. We should have term limits on senators. And thus, we can have a government structure where the majority does not indeed rule where small-minded, power-hungry politicians can completely disrupt our democracy and there be no consequences whatsoever. Because I have some rather unfortunate news here. America has left itself wide open to another version of Donald Trump, if not the return of Donald Trump himself. Because see, now he can run for public office again. And despite being the most incompetent president of our lifetime, maybe ever, American taxpayers will have to pay for his benefits for life. Had he been convicted, that wouldn't have been the case. But this isn't about the benefits. We're a broken nation. And this didn't just start with one person. We've been bending and not completely breaking for years, if not centuries. The fall of empires, it doesn't come in one swift blow. It's by a thousand paper cuts, tiny blows that collectively kill foundations. The word of the week, impeachment. All right, now let's get on to today's show. My guest today is a brilliant creator who made his feature film debut with Monsters Ball, which starred Halle Berry and Billy Bob Thornton, in which Halle Berry was able to win an Oscar. In 2009, another film of his, Precious, earned six Academy Award nominations. He has given a cinematic and television excellence from The Butler to Empire, which is one of the biggest successes in television history. On February 26th, his latest movie, The United States versus Billie Holiday, will be premiering on Hulu. Now, I've seen the film and it is absolutely sensational and already has garnered a Golden Globe nomination for Andre Day. Also, real quick, coming up later in Fuck It, I'm Bothered, there was an actor who recently on the podcast who starred in another film, which is one of the best I've seen already this year. And I felt the need to come to his defense. So I'm going to do that a little bit later. But for now, coming up next, the amazing Lee Daniels. Um, so, Lee, I would be lying to you if I told you I purposely timed this podcast to the day that the Golden Globe nominations were being announced. I did not. So um, I get the really amazing timing award for having you on, especially considering uh, that one of your actors in uh, one of your more recent projects, um, that would be the United States versus Billie Holiday, which I watched a couple nights ago, 
I could spend this whole podcast just talking about that movie. Unfortunately, you have had such a expansive career. I can't. I'm going to have to move on to other things I'm also curious about. But nevertheless, um, it is an amazing performance by Andre Day, who has been nominated in the best performance by an actor category for drama. And so I get to ask you in the moment, how does it feel to see Andre Day uh, celebrated in this way? Surreal. Surreal. I'm so happy for her. She worked so hard on it. We worked so hard on it. So I'm really happy that she's, uh, I'm so happy that, you know, she's, that uh, she got honored. And, and to give people an idea um, of the degree of difficulty, this is Andra's first major role, correct? Yeah, she's never acted before. Uh, so uh, that was, uh, that was crazy uh, trying to figure that one out, knowing whether or not, what, not knowing whether she could or couldn't and not really knowing that I wanted her and her not really knowing that she wanted to do it and then finding each other and then um, just spending some spiritual time together, connecting as one and um, both worshiping Billy and really wanting to do her right. So I think that she had that in common with me. Um, You know, I had interviewed so many name actors, you know, celebrities, um, that um, were good, really good, but they didn't have the spirit of Billy and uh, Andra's spirit was there. So it, uh, I sent her to an acting coach and I sent her to my uh, friend that's a, uh, a vocal coach. And we worked really hard on uh, a year on perfecting the performance. So I'm really excited about it. So um, before we dive deeper into the performance she gave in the movie itself, of course, naturally when these award nominations come out, uh, there is always a look at who didn't get a nomination. Uh, We have Regina King, who became the second black woman in history to earn a Golden Globes nomination for Best Director. Ava DuVernay was the first, of course. But you also have Michaela Cole, and uh, who's the creator and star of I May Destroy You, and Spike Lee, and Delroy Lindo, and Defy Bloods, and Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, Judas and the Black Messiah, One Night in Miami. None of them were nominated for Best Picture, and Delroy Lindo was completely shut out, as was, as I said, Michaela Cole. So... Seeing all of that, especially, I mean, every year you could argue or many years there have been a particularly good year for black film and television, but really, especially this year, considering what we as consumers have been, you know, able to see. um, What do you make of all this? Um, The fact that all of those, I mean, with the exceptions that I pointed out, were not nominated. You know, I, I didn't get nominated and I'm okay. You know, I didn't get nominated for the butler and I'm okay. I didn't get nominated for Precious and I'm okay. You know, I just, you know, the minute you start worrying about a nomination, you're in the wrong, you're wrong. It's wrong. I mean, I think that it is the media and the, and uh, everybody else that's sort of worried about the, but I think that the, yeah, it would be great to get a nomination for me. It would be really great to get a nomination just so I could make my mom happy. I can't speak for Spike and I can't speak for the others, but the Golden Globes in particular is a very, uh, it's politics. It has nothing to do with best movie. It has nothing to do with best actor. They're serving studios. They're serving celebrity. They're, I don't know what they're serving. They're serving uh, the HFPA cause. And, um, and, it's, and, and, and they're, they're entitled to think whatever they want to think. For me, it's always been a question that I've had for all of my films, you know? Like I'm responsible for the first black woman getting an Oscar. I'm responsible for the first black writer getting an Oscar. 
Um, so I, I'm, I'm, I'm awarded and, uh, but I also know that it's a real game of politics and it's messy. I'm sorry. I, I wish I could tell you, I don't, I don't do it for the awards. I don't do it for the awards. Uh, to play uh, the other side of this a little bit. Do you think it's easier for you to say that because you have been awarded? Yes, it is. And I, and I get it. It's a slippery soap because as a creator, most creators, I assume, are not in this for viol- validation. But yet, at the same time, it's got to feel good when... It is nice about being validated. Here's the reality. I mean, like, you know, we worked our asses off for on the butler and we got zero, nothing. You know, and uh, I think that that began the conversation for Oscars So White, for um, films to uh, become awarded or become... So it's, if you're part of the, if you are doing your job, you can only do your, I, as a filmmaker, I can only do my job. I can only do the best I can to, I hope, make you happy with what you're seeing. And uh, white people are going to vote a white way. You know, they're not going to see the lens the way we see the lens. They simply don't see the lens. When did, why is this even a topic of conversation? It's a given. You know, I mean, who black is on that committee? I want to know. I'm just saying, asking, you know, how can they possibly understand our cinema to judge it? It's a futile conversation. <laughs> it's, it's, you know, I don't care. You know, I don't care. <laughs> For my mom, I care because she's so into this whole thing. Right. Well, I mean, I assume as somebody who's just been doing it as well as you have for as long as you have. I mean, you know, when you put something good on the screen, regardless of whether or not the Hollywood Foreign Press Association says it is or not. You don't need their validation because whether or not Andre Day got. But I am happy that, that she got it. That's a big deal for a woman like that had never. And I have to look at myself, too. Like, you know, like I'm responsible for fir- a lot of first time, um, you know, actors getting nominations, Golden Globe nominations. That's a big deal. That's a really big deal for her first job to come out. And I, I've had it happen before. So it's it's uh, it's exciting. I'm. I'm here to celebrate it. I'm here to celebrate it. I'm really excited for her. Well, and especially considering who she was playing. You know, again, I'm thinking about the degree of difficulty. First ever role, Billie Holiday, major picture with you. Yep. There's a lot that could go wrong in that combination as somebody who's a first timer. You mentioned that you talked to a lot of different celebrities about this role. What was it about Andre Day that made you say it's her? because she didn't want to do this. I had to meet with her, right? I didn't want to meet with her because I was like, she's never acted before. Why am I putting myself to, why would I put myself through this again? Because I did it with Gabby Ray Sidibe, you know? And I was like, I've been there, done that. And, uh, but I was really happy with Gabby. I just started thinking about Gabby's performance in it and how happy I was, you know, on the journey that she and I took together for Precious. And so when I finally met with her, because people were telling me she sings incredibly and I, and I love her voice. Her voice is great. She didn't want to do it. She was scared. I had to talk her into doing it. I literally had to talk the girl into doing it. I was like, well, you know, you want to audition, right? She goes, well, I don't know. Should I? I don't really. And I, I could see the fear in her eyes about the commitment. And I knew then that I was dealing with an artist, a perfectionist, someone that was similar to the way I roll. She rolls like I roll. We are both perfectionists and she was um she was terrified and uh and i knew that she would i knew she was going to jump off the cliff with me 
I knew that when you have that kind of fear, that you totally rely on your director, you um, render yourself over. And I, I knew it. So that's why I sent her off to an acting coach and a vocal coach. And then she auditioned and it was like, whoa. And then she sang and I was like, whoa, whoa. <laughs> was it a prerequisite for you to have somebody who could actually sing? Yeah. I couldn't afford all of Billy's music. So I was praying somebody was going to sing. Billy's catalog is pretty expensive. So I was praying that we'd have a singer. That was God looking over me. I think of the many things I loved about the movie is that it's taking a story that isn't often told about Billie Holiday, rarely mentioned. And I'll be completely honest that I was largely ignorant too. I saw Lady Sings the Booze like many, many years ago. I think I was a little girl and I saw it with my mom. And um, obviously that's a much different depiction. Some of it, yes, but like completely different than what you put forth on screen, especially because you are dealing with a particular sector of her life what made you want to decide to do this project knowing how people felt about lady sing the blues and diana ross i did not want to do it you have to understand just like you thought about ladies <laughs> you didn't want to do it either <laughs> in the beginning because listen that movie is the reason why i started directing when i saw that movie i was a teenager i was in the theater I knew it wasn't going to be out. I wouldn't be able to see it for another 10 years till it came on television. We didn't have DVDs or, or nothing else back in the day. And so it changed my two beautiful Black people in love and the fashion and the music and Diana Ross and funny-ass Richard Pryor. And, you you know, you could smell the, the biscuits jumping off the screen, you know, in Harlem. And so... I wanted to do that. And so I think in some weird way, that movie set off the trajectory for me to become a filmmaker in some weird way. But 40 years later, Susan Laurie Parks, who won the Pulitzer Surprise for um, Top Dog Underdog, first Black woman to win that uh, on Broadway for her play, wrote this incredible script about um, the government taking her down. And I did not know that. I think that Lady Sings the Blues, of course it's inaccurate, but I think that Black people needed that story because we needed to see two black people in love. We didn't have that before. And it was beautiful. It changed my life. Like it was nice to see people, black people glamorous and kissing. So what she was a drug addict, I don't care. She was beautiful, you know, and she was a, you, you knew that she was a star back then. I did not know the, uh, that she was a civil rights leader. I did not know that she kicked off the civil rights movement as we know it to be. And I think that that is because the government has, the, 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 it's what they do with all of our stuff. You know, they just, they don't, if, listen, I'm a 61 year old man and I've taken enough history lessons. I didn't go to college, but I'm self-taught to know about black history. If I didn't know this story, how many other stories don't I know? Yeah. I mean, that was to me, what was the most shocking thing is like, I, you know, just not even really knowing um, what kind of a leader that she was. Of course, we know she was a fantastic singer and, and what she brought to jazz. But to find this whole other part of her life, it was very inspiring for me um, just watching that. Now, I th I've read that you said before that several studios passed on this movie. And you can clarify whether or not that is accurate. As they were passing, what was the feedback you kept hearing from people when they said no? Not for us. Too dark. Get Beyonce to star in it. The budget's uh, too high. The usual. 
no different than I have experienced with Monsters Ball to Precious to the Butler. I mean, the, the usual story that 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 uh, I get when I I was just surprised to get it after Empire, you know, and the Butler. I mean, it was clear to me that I, you know, with Empire that I had really, you know, sh- shook up Hollywood to say black people uh, make money and that people watch us. That changed the landscape of Hollywood. That 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 mo- that uh, series changed the way Hollywood viewed um, black people. Like all of it, there wouldn't be a Black Panther. There wouldn't be any insecure. None of them. It wouldn't be none of it had it not been for, um, you know, the revolution of empire. So I thought that I was doing. I thought you know it was going to be easier this time. But I was I was okay that it wasn't because that's what that's that's part of my journey as a as a as an independent filmmaker because the stories I tell are not stories that studios want to want to finance. They they want to jump on the good shit lollipop afterwards, you know? Um, and uh, and I know I'm ahead of the game. I'm always, my, my thinking is always, my stories are always ahead of the curve and that's okay. Somebody's got to do it for us. Uh, as you note in the, the film is about the, uh, originally it was, uh, well, it is still called this, but the Emmett Till lynching act, as you, you know, note as part of the film that was, that came to surface then, Still hasn't passed now. What does that say that it still hasn't passed? <laughs> Girl, I'm asking you. I can't believe it. Um, Corey and Kamala tried to get it passed and they could not. But why shouldn't we believe it in the America that we're living in right now? Why, why is anything unbelievable in the America that we're living in now? Why is it unbelievable that we don't know Billy's story? Why is it unbelievable that we are watching a noose at the Capitol? You know, why is it unbelievable that when I finished The Butler, my son, who went to a, a very fancy Upper East Side school in New York, says, um, Dad, did you make this up? Is this made up? No, son, it's history. <laughs> I mean, they're not teaching it. They're not teaching them. We don't, we, you know, America is unbelievable. In good and bad ways, right? Yes. <laughs> you know, obviously you did a lot of research and looking into her life. Aside from figuring out what kind of leader Billie Holiday was, what were some other things that you were surprised to learn about her? Oh, wow. I mean, that's a, I was surprised that she was such a fashionista. And then once I realized that, I called Prada to help me with the fashion. She was really at the forefront of fashion. And I decided to throw myself into, and it it would make sense because my grandmother, my grandfather, all of my aunts and uncles, um, really, back in the day, Black people were snatched. They were, I mean... The the patent leather on the shoes were shiny. You know, it was a statement. And I really wanted to pay uh, homage to uh, her and her fashion. That blew me away. It blew me away that she was, I didn't really know that she was uh, thrown into prostitution at an early age like that. That really hurt me. And I didn't, I didn't know whether I wanted to tell that part of the story. Cause I, but I felt like, I, I felt like I had to do Billy Wright. I really had, I felt like I had to tell the whole story. I didn't know the government was planning drugs on her. You know, I didn't know that she was uh, trying to get, you know, one has a certain image of a addict. You don't know that she's trying to get sober. 
she was trying to get sober. AA wouldn't let anybody in, women in at the time, forget about a black woman, but they didn't let women in. So there really wasn't a place for, um, for people to, uh, to try to get better, for black people in particular to try to get better. She was sort of doomed. And I think she, I think she knew it. Uh, the thing that surprised me, because again, my reference point is Lady Sings the Blues. I did not know how disgraceful and heartbreaking she died, the way she died. That was, that was to me a really very, um, very emotional. You know, here you have this woman who has meant so much to culture. I mean, black culture, obviously, but culture, period. And for her to die chained to a hospital bed. I mean, it was just like, what? This is how Billie Holiday died. And there was just something about her death that was, um, it was just considering the way she lived, I guess you could say it kind of fell in line to all the injustice she faced. But for me, that, that was, that was probably the most heartbreaking part of her story is how she left. Mm -hmm. And I didn't even want to tell that part. You know, you, you want to have a movie that has a happy ending, (laughs) you know? I want to, I want to at least have hope at the end. You know, you try, if you look at all of my work, you know, there's hope at the end. And um, like with the Butler and with Precious and with, there's hope. When I did the Butler, um, Obama was in office. And so there was hope. We were all happy. And uh, this, you know, when, when the unmentionable came in to space, you know, this is really a call to arms. This movie's a call to arms because you see how she, how she was chained like that. That's why I put the, that. I don't, for not no spoilers, but that's why I put the ending. Did you see the credits? I did. That's why I put the ending on so that at least we have some sort of uplifting moment at the end. And also, I think that she did win at the end because she tells them, "Your grandkids will be singing Strange Fruit." Yeah, I guess probably for me, uh, this came in a row of movies. So I, because I, <laughs> I watched um, Judas and the Black Messiah right before I watched yours. <laughs> and so to go from that to this, I was like, oh, so y'all just want me good and pissed <laughs> off right now. <laughs> like, I was angry as fuck. I was like, where can I, where can I go to d- disrupt yeah. something? You know yeah, what I'm but saying? I think that that's what I'm trying to do with you for this, for this film. You know, I think that we cannot stay quiet. I'm not going to stay quiet anymore. I'm from a specific, you know, generation that if you wanted to succeed, you sort of held your head low, just keep your blinders on and keep it moving. But no, no, the blinders are off now and uh, I'm ready to go to war. Uh, so I'm going to read you something that um, I know one of the actors in your 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 film who play one of the supporting roles, because uh, as I'm watching it, I texted him and or I DM'd him and I said, dude, I had no idea you were in this in this film. Um, And here's what he said about you. And I'll tell you who it is after you respond to it. Uh, He said, um, I had a different idea about Lee. Then working with him was so amazing. I look forward to working with him in the future. He's such a wonderful mess. (laughs) That is how they describe working with you. Do you think that description is accurate? (laughs) It is. It is. I mean, people have a certain perception of me from... Uh, from social media or what, what, whatever is out there. And I'm an artist. I'm a gay black man that has put up uh, whatever front it is to hide whatever it is that I'm feeling inside. And I think that my work speaks to the person that I really am. And, uh, you know, I've used different mechanisms to hide the pain and, and, the, um, and the fear that I live in, have lived in. 
uh, all these years of being taunted for being gay and being taunted for being black in Hollywood, you know? And so I think that that upsets people. It embarrasses some people. Um, they don't know what to make of me. And I think that uh, I'm just, uh, I am an artist at the end of the day. And I'm just here and I, I get emotional when I hear that. That was nice. Who said that? Um, and the other thing he said, he said, you can give him shit because he's so warm. The person who said that is Tone Bell. Fuck you, Tone. <laughs> <laughs> and he, you know him. He would appreciate that. <laughs> so I had no idea that he was in the movie. So I'm DM him. And I was like, How good Tone. Is he in the movie? Oh, How good is he in that movie? Amazing. I was like, you are such an asshole in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> and how good, but he's such, you know, with Tone, it was, um, I don't know none of these kids. You know, I, don't, I didn't know Tone from a hole in the wall. He came in. I didn't know he was a comedian. I didn't know any of it. And I just knew, I, I just knew that he was an, he gave me the inc an incredible reading and he was beautiful and he just like did it, you know? And so and he looked like this character and he looked like he could be of this period. So once I got to really know him, uh, and also he, you know, he first day of shooting, he was naked. He was, he kicked her by accident. I think his dick fell out. Everything that could have happened, happened to that boy. And he was a trooper. Poor boy just like kept rolling with it, kept rolling with it. And it, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to work with his crazy ass again. <laughs> yeah though no, he he loved the experience and he's so great and it's such a different mode or a different thing that people see from him because you know he was in little and he played like a bit of a romantic interest if you will for for Issa Rae and and people know him as a comedian and that kind of thing of being you know very um up and bright and then in this you're just like dude I want to fight you right now <laughs> <laughs> you know, so I like, really want to fight you. So for the way that you did her, you know, and so, um, yeah, it just like seeing him play a darker character was like really outstanding. And not just it, it felt like there was a lot of people in this movie um, that you put in places that it was like, oh, that's, you know, so surprising. Like Miss Lawrence and like, you know, you you sprinkle people throughout that. I don't think people thought of them in this way until they see this movie and they're like oh wow this is showing me something but this is what i do and i've always done in all of my work you know i do the unexpected and i try to if i'm not doing that i'm not directing you know if i'm not showing you someone that you but i didn't even know tone was i really didn't know tone was i thought tone was like this vibe like he i didn't know him any other way until after like way after into it then I started looking on the, I started looking on the YouTubes and I'm like, Oh, this guy's a comedian. You know, I didn't, I didn't know that, but I try to um, make you think differently as I have with Mariah, with Monique, with Nicole Kidman. I don't know whether you saw my movie Paperboy. That's one of my favorite movies. If you haven't checked, have you seen it? I, I have for research. I, uh, I, I will be honest. I wasn't aware of it before I knew this interview was coming up and I was like, Oh, let me, let me check this out. Cause I love Nicole Kidman too. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I try to throw, I try to make you change your uh, idea of who you, what you thought you knew of them, if that makes any sense. Um, as I mentioned, you have so much of, of your career uh, that I love to discuss. I also have two games for you, Lee Daniels, uh, that we will play. Okay. Yes, they're cool games. And so I, I think you'll do very well at both. Um, but we're going to take a quick break and we'll be back with more from Lee Daniels here on Jamel Hill is Unbothered.
you mentioned Empire uh, a couple of times um, as we were, you know, just talking about how the success of that. And yeah, I would think that Lee Daniels at this point can walk into any studio and get a film made. Uh, just, you know, ba- not even a one page, nothing. Just like, I want to make this. Let's do it. Um, but Empire obviously turned into this massive hit. Did you have any inclination as you were putting it together and creating it that this was about to be sort of game changing television? No, I didn't. But let me go back to being able to walk into a studio. Yes, I can. If it, if it is, if it's easy, like studios want easy, they want Black Panther. That's a, you know, that's, that's easy. You know, that's a, that's a, and that, and it, and, it, and it's, we need it too. But did they want Black Panther before Black Panther? You know what I'm saying? Like they want it now because it just did a fucking billion dollars at the box office. Right. <laughs> but I bet you before Black Panther, they didn't want Black Panther. <laughs> yeah. No, you're right. Um, I mean, I, I can go in and sell things, but they, you know, the important stories, Billie Holiday we didn't really see her face. We didn't hear her voice. We knew her voice. We saw her face, but we didn't really know. So I like to give voice to people that aren't heard. And, 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 and I think that there's so many stories out here that we just don't, we don't hear people's voices. We don't know Precious's voices. You know, to me, I want to give voices to um, so many Black people that have not. Bayard Rustin is another movie I'm dying to do. Uh, do you know who that is? Dying to do that film. I do. He's the one that uh, was alongside Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Yeah. Uh, who was gay that a lot of people don't know. And he was shunned and he was, you know, he, he the NAACP told uh, King that he had to disassociate himself with, uh, it was, it was, it was hard for him. So um, I love, I love stories with that give voice to the voiceless, that people that we don't know about, that we don't hear stories that we don't know about. But with Empire, to answer your question about empire, I uh, needed to put my kids through college and I didn't have money. I mean, I had come off all of these movies. You would think I had money, but films don't really pay. You know, I don't make money off of film. I make a little bit of money, but the types of movies that we make are stories that are important and uh, they're not big. They're not Black Panthers. And uh, but they're important stories, I think. And so I was like, when 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 the uh, writer said to me, I have another idea for us to write um, Empire as a film musical. I was like, no, we can make money in television. Let's do that. And uh, I didn't know what I was doing, really. I, I didn't. I walked in there blind. I didn't know what television was about. I didn't really want to do television. I, I threw my nose up at it, you know. And I think that the fact that I didn't know anything really helped me in the, in the space that I was in to teach a bunch of white people about a black family. I remember we were around the table and Danny Strong, my partner was like, okay, they're gonna give you notes. I go, notes, what are they? They go notes, you know, about the script and about the story and everything. I go, in, in film, I am God. I am the bottom line, you know, period. I'm the boss. I never experienced notes. So you got six white people on this side of the table, six white people on that side of the table, me and uh, Danny sitting at the top of the table as we're telling the story. They're giving me notes and, I, and, I'm, and Danny's kicking me under the table saying, don't say anything, just, you know, don't say anything. And finally, they were just like, they were stupid notes. Like, you know, and I was like, okay, all right. I, I kept giving and giving and giving. And they said, well, why? We, don't, we think it's child abuse. Why is Cookie B 
beating her son with a broom. Well, we don't like that. We don't like that. I go, and finally I said, that's what niggas do. And I, I, I don't know how to, I, I, and, I, and, and so there were no more notes from that point on. They let me do my thing. And for that first season, we had a ball. I loved it. Um, I didn't understand that you had to feed the beast, which meant you really had to continue telling, you had to continue writing scripts. I just thought you just like did it and it magically sort of happened episode after episode. I ain't know, you know? And so, and I was like, oh shit, this is real work. And, um, and it's grueling work. It's really grueling work. And, uh, and at the end of the first season, I could see that it was the success was a, a lot and people were jockeying at the studio and the network and, uh, and they wanted to own it. And, um, but you can't own the culture. Like they was, they try to, they start hiring white people. And it was just crazy. Like it was hard for me to fight to get black writers in the room. I remember how hard it was to get, I was like, you think white people can write this shit? No, you get hard to get directors. I had to fight to get black directors in. You know, you got to know to put hot sauce on the fried chicken. This is something that is very specific to us. So, you know, I can't have directors that don't know that shit. You know what I mean? And don't know, uh, uh, you know, um, art, black art. They, that they have to know black fashion. They have to know the culture. And we were re redefining it as we were um, discovering uh, new artists, new new designers all the way. And um, it was it was frustrating. It was very frustrating. John Singleton was. I, I wanted him to direct an episode, and the studio told me no. He has no television experience. John Singleton. Yes. It just like, it was just, it was horrible. The first, uh, it was horrible and good, but cause I was fighting, I was getting everybody and I was, I was feeling I was, but there's so many battles that you can fight. And at the end of the season, even though I'm really grateful for what they did to me, uh, and for the series, I was beat down by the end of the first season. And so they paid me a bunch of money and, uh, I did a second show called star and they sort of took over and I just said, okay, and then I got, you know, trolled on the internet because everybody thought I was doing all the, all the, uh, like making those bad scripts up and stuff. But I just, uh, I, it is what it is. Well, I had Taraji on the podcast recently and she, uh, said she was, you know, kind of disappointed with how abruptly and weirdly the empire ended because of the pandemic, especially in light of everything you just told me. How do you feel about, you know, sort of closing that chapter in your career? It was beautiful. Uh, Vice President Harris called because I did some campaigning for her and she was so kind to thank me for my work in helping her. And I said, are you taking this in? I said, are you, are you really taking this in? Because you know, you are affecting so many black girls, so many girls, women. Are you taking this moment in? Because you are really, this, is, this doesn't happen. I said, and, and, I, and I know it firsthand because I know what it was like when Halle Berry won that Oscar and she became the first black woman to win the Oscar and the whole thing with Precious. And, and what we did with Empire was unprecedented, but I never took it in. I never took it in because I'm so busy on to the next. And she stopped. She got emotional for a minute. And she says, no, Lee, our country is, we got so much work to do. I said, stop and take it in. Because you, what you're, what you, what you are in right now, 
it never it, it's never happened it's historic so um i think she took it in for a little bit but yeah um it was it was I, i'm really happy with i'm proud of uh the creating of cookie the creating of um lucius these are all people that um I'd have never thought was would end up on in television or you know in your screen on your screen. Um, in this country, we spend a lot in a lot of time in 2020 with a, a racial reckoning, whatever that means. A lot of corporations, a lot of big entities promising to do better by black people and to listen to us and all these other things. Do you feel as if Hollywood is actually matching that energy? In a very superficial way, yes but only in a superficial way until there are decision makers that are at the top that can green light my films that are black, that understand that these, that Billie Holiday stories are important, you know, that they are important to our culture until there is a studio executive that understands the taste of uh, my mother's fried chicken and collard greens. Hell no, no, we ain't moving nothing. It's all superficial. It's all talk. Because white people are controlling our narrative, even right now. I mean, what's great now is, is that they are hiring. They know that they need Black writers. They know they need Black directors. You know? But we need Black people to greenlight it. So we have, we have it. We just need, the, we need people that are the, the, at, at the head of Disney, at the head of Paramount. At the head of Sony, all those people need to be black or we need to have somebody there that can say, oh, I see you. This is real. This is important. This needs to be greenlit now. Does that make sense to you? That makes total sense. I mean, because one thing that I'm I like to, to tell people when they ask me about, you know, um, you know, my career or whatever, is that, yeah, it used to be for me, it used to be about getting in the room, you know, and I'm sure you spent time on that as well. Like, oh, get in the room. I was like, eh, that's not good enough anymore. If I get in the room, I got to change the whole room. Yes. Like the whole room's got to be changed, right? Yes. Yes. It's not, it's not, we no longer can have like the getting in part, like we have made progress there. We're getting in the rooms. But if you got one black person in a boardroom or in a creative meeting, like that shit is not something to celebrate. Like it's, it's just not, right? Mm -hmm. Because you wonder the next level is, is that person empowered to change anything? If they're not, what are we talking about? But here's the thing. I'm really humbled because we have, I've seen it. I've been in this business for 35 years. So I've seen the growth. I have really seen the growth. Like I, there was a time when there was only one. I know, I know the first black agent at William Morris. I know the first black agent at CAA. Like I know their stories. You know, I know the first black agent at ICM at all the majors. Like I know. And so that was a really big deal. You know, um, when I was managing, there were only two black managers that were doing it. It was me and Dolores Robinson. Dolores Robinson, there's actors, this is prior to, Dolores Robinson handled um, uh, Wesley Snipes and Helen Suglin, who represented uh, Lawrence Fishburne. So, I mean, there were just three of us that were, that were doing it 35 years ago. It has changed. It has really changed. Um, white people are not writing our narrative. So for me, I'm, how do I say this? Like, I'm really grateful because I've seen, but it's not enough for my kids. Like, my kids just like, Dad, okay, that's nice. But so I, I'm torn, you know, I don't know how to explain it. I'm really torn because I'm really happy at the progress. I've seen it 35 years in the making. So I'm really, really proud of it. 
if that makes any sense. And I've been and I've been around working for 35 years. So I'm really proud of that, too. And relevant still. It's OK to be happy and angry at the same time. <laughs> you know, it's OK. Like happy and wanting more. OK, now you sound like my fucking therapist. <laughs> i'm just saying right it's all right it's okay to do that um because there's room for both you know every time i see one of these first i'm like oh man that's great are you fucking kidding me it's like literally my the next thing that i'm thinking right because i can't believe yeah no it's true because i as like regina king perfect example very happy for regina king because because of what she was able to do with one night in miami but the second woman, I'm like, are you kidding me? I was like, the second black woman, like, you got to be fucking kidding me. I mean, here's the thing. I woke up really upset. I was upset. You know, I was upset in my feelings that I didn't get nominated. And I was just like, again, like, how many times do I have to prove myself to these people again? Really? And uh, so, yeah, I'm, I'm, since we're now in it I'm, and I'm literally experiencing it real time. Yeah, it's upsetting. It is upsetting. But again, I really, honestly, I don't do it for that. I'm not interested in doing it for that. Then it's not pure. The work isn't pure. Then it's conceited. And there's an intent behind the work from the very beginning. And then it's not good. It's not pure. It's not from God. It's bad. But once people start telling you, hey, you go get something for this. You start shaking your shit, shit out proud. Like, okay, where's my shit? No shit. <laughs> oh shit! <laughs> I perfectly under uh, understand. But I'm really happy that this is the thing. What, what, what makes me really happy is when I hear you talk about the film. Honest to God, it, I'm overwhelmed with that, and that makes me feel so happy. And I swear to God, that is as important to me as an award because I really know that you saw the movie for what it was, and you were able to see Billy for what it was. So, and to me. For you to be able to talk positively about the experience that you had knows that I touched you, that you saw my spirit, you saw you saw who I am, and that makes me feel really good. You know, it it, it had me thinking about. I, there's a part of me that I want to. I can't wait till my mother sees it, because since you know the Lady Sings the Blues was more of her time. And how old is your mom? She's sixty three. Okay, so she she's right in the pocket. She is. I, she's the one. She's really the one I want to see this movie. Like that is the that is the audience. I'm fascinated about like what her take. I was so nervous about doing this movie. I called uh, Barry Gordy. I said, "Sir, do you mind if I do this movie? Are you going to be upset with me?" That's not because it's the Holy Grail. It is, you know. So I would you. I'm gonna give you my phone number. I want you to tell me what your mother says about the film because that is the audience that I really want to hit. I will, yeah, because I'm dying to know because you know this is a much fuller picture of Billie Holiday. So I'm like, I I wonder is she is she ready for this? <laughs> You know what I'm saying? I'm like, is she ready? I don't know. But she loved Precious. So hopefully she, <laughs> she did. She loved Precious. So hopefully she's uh, she's ready for it. Um, real quick game I have uh, for you. I have two, but uh, we'll get to the first one now because I only have a few minutes left with you. Uh, you are working on so many things and it's a new story about what you're working on and what you're involved in all the time. So we're going to play. Is this happening or not? <laughs> okay. Okay. How do I come back with it? So I'm going to ask you, it's a project that I've, it says you're working on it or your name has been associated. You could tell me, yeah, this is happening or I don't know, or no, this is not happening. Right. Okay. Yeah. So we are just talking about Empire. Cookie spinoff. Is this happening or not? <laughs> He's balling up his fist for those who are listening. Not now. 
Not now. Not now. Not now. Not now. Okay. Uh, Snoop's biopic. Is this happening or not? Not now. Not now. Okay. All right. <laughs> Terms of endearment. Is this happening or not? Yes. Okay. I tell you what, you don't like them easy, right? You no. already <laughs> you don't like them easy. Now you're gonna remake Terms of Endearment, dude. Like But that's a let me tell you something. Oh my god, that's another conversation. I'm so excited about that because that takes place during the AIDS epidemic and we talk about her getting AIDS as opposed to her dying of cancer. And it's so great. I can't wait Oof. to tell that story. Yeah. Okay. Uh waiting to exhale TV series. Yes. Is this happening? That yes. is happening. Mm-hmm. Um Richard Pryor movie. Is that happening? Not. No. Okay. Not with you, right? Kenya Barris is directing it. Kenya Barris is directing it. Kenya Barris is directing that. Okay. Because I know at one point your name was associated with it. Mm-hmm. I know this is happening and you can expound on on what this means. Uh, that's the Wonder Years reboot. Yeah. Excited about that. Yeah. Really excited about it. From a black lens, it's going to be so much fun. That's all I can tell you about that though. But yes, it's happening. Okay. I'm, I'm dying to know, especially set at the same time, right? Said in the 60s, correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yes. You didn't ask me about the one that I was hoping you was going to ask me about. Which which one is that? What am I missing? The spook who sat by the door. Oh! So this is happening. I'm excited about that, too. I'm writing a... I'm, I'm doing a horror movie. I want to do a horror movie. I don't think we've ever been... I don't think Black people have been scared the way I was scared back in the day. When you think of uh, Lady Sings the Blues, I want to say I think of Exorcist too. When I think of The Exorcist, I have not been scared like that ever. So I'm here to scare you like that. I think that Jordan Peele did a wonderful job with um, Get Out, but that was sort of, it was sort of satirical. It was, it was that. It wasn't, it didn't, it wasn't about a black woman fighting the devil. So I'm really excited about telling that story too. I'm in. <laughs> I mean, I think the last movie that scared me was probably Nightmare on Elm Street back in the day when I was a kid. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Second game I want to play with you, uh, Lee, is a game I play with all my guests. All right. It's called This or That. The choice is yours. You can oh. get with this or you can get with that. You can oh. get with this or you can get with that. You can oh. get with this or you can get with that. I give you two choices. You pick one. Okay. All right. Strange Fruit or God Bless the Child. <laughs> He's balling up his fist again. <laughs> yeah, I came Whoa. out the gate with it. <laughs> Strange fruit. <laughs> that doesn't mean you don't like the other one. Uh, I know your background of working so much uh, with Prince. So um, Little Red Corvette or Let's Go Crazy. Girl, what kind of game is this? <laughs> it's a game of tough choices, Lee. That's the whole point. <laughs> Red Corvette. Mm. Um, Denzel, one of your really good friends. So Denzel's performance in Training Day or his performance in American Gangster? Wow. Training Day. I know she's another good friend of yours. Uh, All I Want for Christmas is You or Vision of Love, your girl Mariah Carey. (laughs) Vision of Love. And finally, and of course I saved the toughest for last. (laughs) Uh, Andre Day's performance or Monique's in Precious. I know. I just asked you to pick between your children. That's so wrong. I know. I cannot answer that question. I really cannot answer that question. I knew you question. would do that. I knew I, you I, would I take the escape no, really, That is like, <laughs> I can't fairly answer that question. Sorry. <laughs> I lose. It's okay. 
it's it's okay. I I expected you to punt on that question. I was like, if he's smart, he punts on this question. What do you think? What do you, which I I'm gonna throw it back to you. Okay. So again, I judge by degree of difficulty. I think the degree of difficulty was much higher for Andre Day than for Monique. Both difficult. Don't get me wrong. But Andre Day's playing a historic person and has never had a role. Yeah. Yeah. Right? I hear you. Yeah. Monique had some acting experience, although not in that way. And I know you you also have worked with her before, correct? In Shadowboxer. In Shadowboxer, right. So you worked with her before. You never worked with Andre Day. Yeah. So I would probably lean toward, you know, Billie Holiday, even though obviously both spectacular performances. And I hope for Andre Day, like this is just a precursor because I don't know how she does not get an Oscar nomination after that. When you combine the singing and she had her voice nailed, just nailed. Yeah. 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 It was great. It was great. Yeah. It, re- it really was spectacular. Um, well, Lee, thank you so much for spending this time with me. Um, I'll let you know what my mother thinks. Would you? <laughs> Billie, I, Would you? I promise I will. I promise that I will let you know. So okay. I'll, I'll I'll get it to your people and be like, look, tell Lee I said <laughs> that my mama said <laughs> this about it. Um, but yeah, just um, you know, continue to dominate, man. You 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 on some world domination shit, and it's really beautiful to see, especially as you continue to tell these stories that haven't been told. Um, I have a feeling that a lot of people after seeing Billy Day, they're gonna go either read the book that this was based off of or just take a deeper dive and deeper look at what she went through. And I think, you know, that's part of the goal, even though we know how our story ends, right? It's like, as you said it so perfectly, this is a call to arms. And so call received. It is a call. Yeah. Call received. Yeah. Um, All right, ladies and gents, Lee's getting out of here. Final segment coming up next. Fuck it. I'm bothered. A couple of weeks ago, I had Daniel Kaluuya, uh, star of the new movie, Judas and the Black Messiah, as a guest on this podcast. And just like I do with every guest, I publish some video clips from the podcast on my social media. And clips are also posted on the Jamel Hill is Unbothered Instagram, Twitter and Facebook accounts. They're also available on my YouTube page, which you should subscribe to if you haven't already. And by the way, one quick thing before I get to the fucking I'm bothered. Many of you have asked to see the full video version of the podcast. Well, I can't do that because the point is to drive you to listen to the podcast here on Spotify. If I give you the full video version, y'all just take the free content and keep it moving. Sorry, kiddos and orders for yours truly to get paid. Gotta drive you to Spotify business. So anyway, I posted a clip of Daniel Kaluuya talking about how he prepared so meticulously to play chairman Fred Hampton in Judas and the Black Messiah. He spent a year working on Chairman Fred's voice and Daniel is British. And while he has done many American accents, his challenge in this role is a Chicago accent and someone who was a gifted orator. And if you've seen the movie, you know that Daniel Kaluuya is absolutely spectacular in this role. He was meant to play it. But as soon as I posted that clip, Many people in the comment section were dismayed, some outright angry that Daniel had been selected to play this role. The common complaint from people is that they're tired of seeing black British actors play prominent African-American historical figures in movies, i.e. Cynthia Erivo playing Harriet Tubman, i.e. David Oyelowo playing Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. in Selma. And now you have Daniel Kaluuya playing Chairman Fred. 
Now, when Daniel was on the podcast, I didn't ask him about this because, and feel free to call me naive, I didn't realize that people felt so outraged about it. That being said, I did recently tape a podcast with Ryan Coogler, who directed Black Panther and also produced Judas and the Black Messiah and also Fred Hampton's son, Chairman Fred Jr. I asked them about Black British actors playing African-American characters. So stay tuned for when that podcast dropped, because you'll definitely want to hear their answer. Anyway, Daniel did address the criticism slash outrage on The Breakfast Club and also on my buddy Van Lathan's podcast, Higher Learning, which he hosts with the wonderful Rachel Lindsay. And I want to play a clip from his interview with Van and Rachel in which Daniel addresses why he's so frustrated with conversations about race. And the reason this is important is because one of the criticisms of selecting Daniel for this role is based on an interview Daniel did where he talked about being tired of talking about race. And some people took that to mean that Daniel was trying to distance himself from the black community and the black experience. He wasn't. So listen to this clip in which Daniel gives one of the most eloquent analogies to explain why it's fucked up to keep asking black people about race. We've got a bit of time. I'll tell you this story. Yeah? I'm going to say right. they always cut it from every interview. And, it, and this was in the same interview. This is okay. in the same interview. I'll tell you this story. Yeah. All right, Rachel. Yeah. Give me an old lady's name. Mabel. Mabel. All right. Mabel. Mabel's there chilling. 2.30 a.m. Mabel's chilling now. Boom. She hears a noise. She's like, what the f***? What's that noise? What's going on? Mabel wakes up. Yo, boom, sees the window open, puts the light on, all her has been taken. She's like, what the f***? My has been taken. Boom, she calls the police. Yo, I've been robbed. I lost my stuff. They said, I've been coming away. The police come, oh, like, these two police officers, one black, one white. They're like, yo, Mabel, what's happened? Mabel, what happened? Because I woke up 2.30 in the morning, my stuff got taken. Her stuff got taken, cool. All right, cool, we're going to take you to the police station. We're going to ask you more questions. Okay, cool, I just want my stuff back. She goes there, she's going to get her stuff to, um, to the police station. She's in the lobby waiting, goes, Mabel, there's been a lot of robberies tonight. We're going to put you to another space to wait. I'm going to speak to you. Cool. They put Mabel in a cell. He was like, that's a bit weird. I'm in a cell. That's a bit weird. I'm like, cool. Let me chill. This is that. And the other. Cool. Boom, 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 bam. Chilling, chilling in the cell there. Chilling, 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 chilling. Two, three hours go by. Boom. The thing they go, yo, Mabel, we're ready for you. They take Mabel into the interrogation room. They put the recorder on and they go, Mabel, tell us why you got robbed. Mm. Mabel has a decision in that situation. She can come to two conclusions. She's even going... You guys, you police officers, are very f***ed at your job or you don't want to solve the crime. You feel me? Because you're never going to ask a person that's the victim of the crime why the crime happened. You're going to go out there and figure out and find the person who did it. And when you find the person who did it, you're not going to ask them why, because robbers rob. That's what they do. So I'm sitting there in this interview, impacted by racism, and they're asking me why it's happened. I came in this game in 89. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know why I'm educating myself and understanding I can articulate it and when I articulate why they're still asking me questions so I'm sitting there I'm like so now Mabel's going to be there listen you guys don't know what the f*** you're doing I'm going to go out there call my grandsons and we're going to make it happen I'm going to get my stuff back I'm here to get my stuff I'm here to get my you feel what I'm trying to say? Yeah. So yeah. I'm, really saying, like, I'm tired of talking. That, that's the conversations that are being had, but they're not highlighting their side of the conversation. They're putting you out there. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, yo, why are you asking me about this? You, you don't ask white people about this. So does that sound to you like Daniel Kaluuya doesn't understand the black experience? And for that matter, the black experience in America. And that's why I was fucking bothered by people, pretty much black people complaining about Daniel Kaluuya playing Fred Hampton with the rationale being, that Daniel Kaluuya is from London, he can't possibly understand racism in America. The people who took issue with Daniel, congratulations, 
you aren't Mabel in Daniel's analogy. You are the police asking Mabel why she got robbed. Because I'm confused as to what black British actors are supposed to do. Are they supposed to turn down playing African-American characters? Are they supposed to not come to America, even though it's the epicenter of film and entertainment? Are they supposed to not fulfill their lifelong passion of being an actor or being a star in America? What would you have them do? Why are we criticizing the people who also are victimized by the same system? One of the big reasons Daniel Kaluuya came to America to pursue his acting career was because he was experiencing racism in his own country when it came to securing roles. If you're upset at the entertainment industry for disenfranchising African-American actors, that's not on Daniel Kaluuya or any other black British actor. That's not their problem to solve. You're taking aim at the wrong people. And it's a bad look to see black people engaging in pointless infighting. At the end of the day, we're all black and have the shared experience of racism and oppression, which happens in the States and virtually every part of the world. Racism and oppression are global issues. They are not unique to America. Besides, I didn't hear nary a complaint when Morgan Freeman played Nelson Mandela in Invictus, when Denzel Washington played Stephen Biko in Cry Freedom, when Forrest Whitaker played Idi Amin in The Last King of Scotland, or when Don Cheadle played a Rwanda hotel owner whose name I can't pronounce. African-Americans have been playing Africans for as long as I can remember, fictional and otherwise. And for the record, as it relates to Daniel Kaluuya, Judas and the Black Messiah is directed by Shaka King, produced by Ryan Coogler, as I mentioned earlier, and also Charles King. These are three African-American men in charge of this production. Shaka King's first choice was Daniel Kaluuya. Ava DuVernay, a black woman, cast David Oyelowo as Dr. Martin Luther King. I trust their decision making, especially since they employ scores of African-American actors. That guy also starring as the co-lead in Judas and the Black Messiah. His name is Lakeith Stanfield, Black American. Maybe you've heard of him. Sometimes we're focused on the wrong shit. Stay unbothered. Jamel Hill is Unbothered is produced by Spotify and Unbothered Inc., from Unbothered Inc., Ashley Van Horn is our head of talent, Rich Burner is our technical director, and Evan Dick is our executive producer. From Spotify, supervising producer is Jifa Yador, and project manager is Jessica Dow. Our theme music is provided by Corey Greenleaf and Ben Darwish. This or That Music, The Choice is Yours, Revisited by Black Sheep. Written by Andres Titus, William K. McLean, and Johnny Hammond from Universal Polygram International Publishing, Inc. on behalf of itself and Pete Bow Music. You can find more from me on Twitter and Instagram at Jamel Hill. Please remember to subscribe and share with your friends.